This week on Trip Weddings, Brian, Robert, and Bruce walk us through how they approach a typical wedding day, including a discussion on the gear they bring with them and when and where it is used. Plus, we answer a listener question about what types of photography products a wedding photographer should add to their product offerings. Well, welcome back to another episode of Twip Weddings. Once again, my name is Bruce Clark, and I am joined, as always, in the co-host chair by Mr. Robert Evans and Mr. Brian Capparici. Welcome back, guys. It's good afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon. Good How's it going? How's everybody? What's new? Yeah, I'm good. Brian? I am doing great. I'm enjoying my new uh, headphones. For anyone that's watching the video right now, I, I spend so much time on Skype and listening to music, and I talked about Focus at Will in a past episode, and I always had my little Apple earbuds, but my, my ears were starting to be sore, like physically, from because they're kind of hard earbuds. So we got these little Sennheiser ones that go over the ear, and I love them. So I'm enjoying those today. That's like a that's like a pick 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 of the week. Yeah, yeah it's like a pre pick of the week. <laughs> pre pick of the week. Pre pick of the week. Nice. <laughs> Mr. Evans, what's new with you? Uh, nothing exciting to report. I'm just enjoying the calm before the storm because starting from WPPI, which will be coming up here in a week or so, uh, it gets crazy. A lot of time on airplanes and uh, but that's always good. Um, just enjoying life right now. Good. I was um. I was down in Portland, Maine last week for a conference. It's called Inspire Photo Retreats. Um, and I was speaking down there about pricing, but um, I want to give them a shameless plug here because the conference is so amazing. And the community that they've created down there, it's about 250 to 300 photographers, but it's very like, it's super small, super intimate. It's like a big family when you go down there. And it's very inspirational, but there's also like a great, like they've got mentoring set up that like every attendee gets to go through mentoring. There's all kinds of image critique stuff. There's all kinds of classes they can go to. And I'm I'm personally really, I mean, I went down there to speak, but I attended the conference as well. And I'm personally really inspired having been down there. So it? uh, it's called Inspire Photo Retreats. And they just announced their 2016 date. So I would, uh, any photographers, I know that we're looking at the 2015 schedule right now and like Robert uh, and Bruce, I'm going down to WPPI. But if you're looking at planning your next year out, it's it's never too early to get signed up for things like that because they do often sell out far in advance. Nice. Yeah. Do they target any particular genre of photography or is it kind of... It's, you know, it's actually interesting because I would say that it's mostly wedding and portrait photographers, um, but they have a lot of really cool things for non-wedding and portrait photographers. Like this year they had a full day class and I'm probably going to butcher this because I don't have any knowledge in this space, but they did like salt prints and canotypes and like different kinds of artistic processing for film. And they had a full day workshop on that, which was really, really interesting. Like the feedback from those classes were great. So I think they, they kind of cater towards, you know, a, a pretty broad market with that. Cool. Robert, have you ever been down to that? No, it sounds fun. Maybe next yeah. year yeah. I can go in Brian's luggage. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Are they are they always in Portland or? No, so I think they're changing it. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head where they're at next year, but it's, isn't it right before WPBI? I saw some discussion online that you know they were worried, but but it's going to be right before I think. Yeah, it's so it's it's next. It's actually after WPBI next after, year. After after so February 29th, um, and it's down in uh, Newport, Hyatt Regency Newport. Oh, great. Yeah, so. Uh, it was an awesome, awesome con conference. Really small, really intimate. And uh, for anyone that wants to kind of have that really kind of family-feeling community type of conference, that would be a really good fit for them. I like those too because I think you you end up getting, like you said, you build more relationships. You yeah. get to talk to more people. For sure. Absolutely. That sounds good. 
Bruce, what have you Excellent. been up to? Uh, just getting a few projects knocked off my list. Uh, you know, we we had an episode where we talked about you know working in the off season and you know turning it into on season. So I've been busy tackled a couple of big projects. One of the things I've been wanting to do for a while now is get our pricing list or price guide um, a little more beefed up. So I've turned it into more of like a magazine as opposed to just sort of a pricing handout. Again, we're always looking for ways that we can differentiate ourselves and our product from other photographers. And, you know, when you have a price list, it's, you know, it's a price list and people are just, you know, shopping off like a menu. We wanted to make it a little more informative. So we've turned it into more of a magazine um, that's got a little bit more information for the bride and groom. So it becomes a bit of a, you know, value add when we meet with a couple. So now everybody knows your secret. I know everybody's secrets out. So. <laughs> well, good but luck that's to the market for. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've had it on my list to do for the last couple of years, and it just keep it kept getting pushed to the bottom of the list. So this year was finally one of those. I like. Okay, here's the couple of things that I'm going to tackle this, you know, this season in the off season, and uh, nice. so I'm working on that. And then I've also been building out a a master wedding catalog for Lightroom. Um, mm. We'll do probably a whole show on post-production and, and how we handle it, but for us here, we do a separate Lightroom catalog for every single wedding that we shoot. Yep. And so one of the things I've been wanting to do is create like a master catalog that is that holds all those catalogs. So if I ever need to go back and pull an image or you know make collections and those kinds of things, so I've been busy doing that. I'm up to I you know I'm up to twenty four. I'm up to the current year, so I'm 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 almost done nice. that project. So it's getting there. So. So I've been working away with those, and then uh, yeah, we got away to the mountains for the this past weekend and did a little hike through uh, Moline Canyon in Jasper, and I shot some ice uh, waterfalls. So I, I, I was inspired by uh, Robert's ice shoot with the ice castles, and we went to uh, Moline Canyon in Jasper and just uh, just got away for the weekend. So I saw a picture today of on Facebook of Niagara Falls frozen. Ooh, cool! It's pretty interesting. Yeah. That's where we are. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff. So, yes, that's what I've been up to. And then just getting, you know, we're recording this now just about a week out before WPPI. So, just getting ready to uh, head to Vegas. So, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, let's jump into the show. Um, before we get going, of course, we want to remind everybody where you can where you can find us. So, if you go over to the website at thisweekinphoto.com, just look for the TWIP Weddings uh, section. And there you'll find the blog posts for every episode. Uh, we've got show notes in there that accompany each episode, so it's going to have links to everything that we talk about, our picks of the week, uh, and any other you know things that we might mention during the, the episode. Um, also, we want to hear from you. We really want your feedback because we're here to help you guys, and we want to know what you know. What are you struggling with? What are some of your business issues or creative issues? Uh, and so, there's a couple ways you can get a hold of us. You can either email us. So we've got a, an email account, twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com, or just put out a tweet and include the hashtag TWIPWED, and we'll keep an eye out for those. Um, you can also find us over on Instagram, and we're at TWIPWED on Instagram, so feel free to follow us there, and we'll try and put some photos out on Instagram. As always, we'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes. All right, so let's jump into the show. Our uh, First section, as always, is our picks of the week. And in this section, we will share a photography-related item that we think would be a benefit for other wedding photographers to check out. So let's start with Mr. Evans. What's your pick this week? So since we're going to talk about wedding workflow in this episode, um, my pick of the week is going to be a camera body and uh, a very inexpensive camera body at that. Uh, as you know, or now that you do know, I'm a Sony guy. I shoot Sony uh, equipment. And uh, 
I really have been loving the A6000. Uh, it's about a $650 camera, uh, I think, with the lens as a kit. Um, and there's, of course, a lot of other amazing lenses you can get with it. But it's very light. It looks like a point-and-shoot, except that you can change the lenses. Um, and I use it for so many things in my personal life, in my work life. Uh, it's great for sports. Uh, one of the things I really love about it um, it has the fastest autofocusing system on the market right now, and uh, it'll shoot 11 frames a second on top of that. Uh, so I've shoot a lot of sports with it. I've shot professional football games. I've shot uh, in, in Minnesota here. They just had uh, uh, Red Bull crashed ice. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's coming to Edmonton, too. Yeah, I shot a little rodeo. Uh, with it. Uh, I shoot my kids' sports. I mean, just for, like, you know, a great kids' camera. I do shoot that with the E-mount 24-70G lens on that. Um, but that combination is, that lens is sharp. It's fast. The fact that it's F4 doesn't make a difference in the world um, because you can shoot the camera at higher ISOs if you need to for indoor lighting. But for wedding-wise, you know, getting to why I brought it today, I've been using it a lot uh, for a few things at weddings, and I don't want to, we'll talk about it as we get there, but uh, getting ready, I'll use it sometimes during cocktails, just areas where I just want a lighter, more flexible camera. Uh, and so I'm really loving, really loving it. I mean, for the price, it's a really an amazing camera, the quality, you know, mirrorless, so check it out. How does it perform in low light situations? Because that's usually one it's of the. Good. You can, you can take it up to like you know again. I grew up shooting film, so I, I don't even like to go above sixty four hundred. But uh, I've shot it around sixty four, and and it's still a pretty nice clean file. Uh, I wouldn't go you know sometimes beyond that, but it it will go up higher. Um, if you really want good low light in a Sony body, that's the A seven S, and uh, I'll discuss that a little bit further too when. Uh, we get into our workflow or what we do during the day and how we use that stuff. Awesome. Sounds good. Brian, what's your pick this week? My pick, actually, um, speaking of Inspire, well, Inspire Photo Retreats was like pre-pick number one. Pre but <laughs> getting it, this one's actually loosely related to it. It was a book that um, one of the sponsors at, um, at uh, Inspire, a company called Photoscribe, and Photoscribe, they um, they do blogging for photographers. So if you feel like you're behind on your blogging or you need someone to help with that end of your workflow, they can help with that. Um, they're technically not the pick, but I wanted to give them a quick plug. Um, they sponsored every attendee for the conference getting this book, which for those of you watching, I'm holding it up, and for those of you not watching, it's a book called Everybody Writes by uh, Anne Handley. Now, I, I actually have read this book when it first came out. I bought the Kindle version because I couldn't wait for the actual physical copy to come out. Um, but it's published with Wiley, and basically the premise is that um, – I like it because I do a lot of writing. Uh, I do like I do podcasting on this, and so it helps me with that because it, it helps walk you through how to be a better writer. But it's very practical. It's very uh, like mechanical. It talks about grammar and like all those kinds of kind of non-sexy things, but it makes it really simple to understand and get through it. But the case that Anne makes, and I've heard her talk about this a number of times on on podcasts and web shows and all that, and the promotion of the book is that. Um, a lot of people don't think they're writers, but the reality is that we all are writers in some form, whether that actually means that we write long blog posts or not. I don't know, but everybody writes emails. Everybody writes, you know, we have to write copy for our website. We have to write blog posts. And so uh, if you can look at yourself as a writer, there's some really, really simple 
strategies in this book that can help you be more effective in your writing. And so I think this is a book that every photographer should pick up and read. And I've read it, and I'm going to go through it again because it's such a great read. So uh, Everybody Writes by Anne Hanley is the name nice. again. Awesome. Hey, Brian, did you know that there is actually an official term when you can't blog enough in your photo business? No. In any business, really. It's an official Robert Evans term. It's called <laughs> getting blogged down. <laughs> so, yeah. so then, yes, yeah. that's what happens to us. If you are in. if you are blogged down, photoscribe.com, and that's photo with an F. They can help you with that problem. You should check them out. Like outsourced blog writing. Yeah, like basically, like they have, they'll assign a writer to you, and then that writer will learn your style, learn how you like to do it, and they can help you with the mechanics, with the prep of it, with getting it going. They can even help do the writing itself. So it's kind of like outsourced blogging. Um, but they do it in a very strategic way where it's still your voice. So it's it's really interesting. If if you have been wanting to get into blogging but you haven't yet for whatever reason you've been telling yourself, um, it may not be a bad idea to to try out Photoscribe and see how they may be able to help you. No, oh, I think you can outsource just about anything nowadays. Yeah. I got an inquiry this week for uh, photos for a, a professional cuddler. Have you guys ever heard of? <laughs> have you ever heard of this? There's this. There, it's a thing. Cuddler. I swear, it's a service, and you can hire somebody to come to your home to cuddle, if you need oh a hug gosh. or a cuddle. What? Not kidding. Yeah, not what? kidding. Real. It's what a real thing. What kind of service is that, Bruce? I yeah. <laughs> I took a pass. I took a pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but you can outsource literally anything. So wow. There you Awesome, good pick. Everybody reads. That reminds me of a great. Everybody R- writes. Everybody writes. Everybody writes. Sorry, yeah. I, it reminds me of a great REM song. Mm. <laughs> Everybody hurts. Um, awesome, good stuff. Well, my pick this week is kind of related to workflow a little bit, not necessarily workflow on the wedding day, but workflow after the wedding day. And probably um, most of our listeners, or a large majority of our listeners, probably use Lightroom for their post-production and organizing. And the fine folks over at Kelby Media, so Scott Kelby and RC Concepcion, have just launched a brand new show, and it's the Lightroom show. And so it's going to be a weekly show, and they're going to provide uh, tips and tricks for working with Lightroom, and it's free. So free education online is always a good thing. So if you're a Lightroom user and you're looking for some good free education, I watched the first episode and picked up a couple of things I didn't. I didn't know. I think I thought I knew Lightroom inside and out, but there's always something new you can learn. They're the kind of the, the gurus of that stuff. So if you're looking for Lightroom training, it's the new Lightroom show. And again, we'll put a link to the show notes. Awesome. For that. All right. Good picks. All right. Well, let's move on to our next section, which is our weekly listener question. Um, each week, we're going to pick a listener question to answer on the show. So again, email us. Twip- twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com or send us a tweet with your question and maybe we'll answer it on a show. So this week we've got a question. Uh, this question actually came into, into Robert and it was from, I'm going to butcher this, it's his Twitter name is Mr. Arvels, I believe. And he is wondering, uh, do you think you guys could give us some advice on what a new photographer should have for product besides prints? I know this will vary per market, but a general idea would be helpful. So Mr. Arvels, he's looking for some suggestions. What else should he, I guess, be selling to his clients as a product, you know, in addition to, to the obvious thing like prints? Who wants to tackle this one? Robert, why don't we throw it to you first since he, he, he emailed you first. So, Well, my immediate response is an album. I mean, I think that's a, 
a no-brainer, and I think we've discussed this on a previous show, but uh, I think if you're not giving your wedding clients an album or not making some sort of album, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, you know, again, those of you that shoot weddings and hand over a disc, uh, you know, I realize that's a, a business format, um, but you can, you're leaving money on the table by not doing it, and you're not putting your best foot forward by not offering an album. Even if, even if you want to do that, but you want to include an album in part of your package that you design and that you give them, it can be small and it can be inexpensive. But the way I look at it is, you know, you could pick 20 prints, put it in a small, inexpensive album, and you choose the images that you want the client to see and you give them as a gift. So first of all, it's a wow factor. And then second of all, now you've given them your portfolio, run around and sell their friends. So if nothing else, I, I think definitely an album. Um, and, you know, then you can go to wall portraits, you know, et cetera. So let's see what Brian's idea is. Yeah, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, so uh, my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't really answer the question, but here, here's why I say it this way, is I think we can give you some advice, uh, Mr. Arvels, or I guess anyone for that matter listening, but... And I know that you know he acknowledges in the question that it's going to vary market to market, but I think it goes even further than that in that it varies photographer to photographer. Like what what kind of I th I think if you if you look at your business and start to make some decisions about what your intent is with your business and what you want to be doing with your business, that will help to show what you need to be or what you should be offering your clients. Like I could sit here and say that you could be off, you should be offering canvas prints or you should be offering mounted prints or you could do metal wall art or you could be doing uh, you know, little press mounted books or you could be doing albums. I mean there's so many options but here's the question that you need to ask yourself is what do you want to give to your clients? What kind of clients do you have in your business and what kind of product do they like to enjoy in their own personal lives? If you're targeting the you know higher end clientele that's very refined, they're professionals, they're doctors, they're dentists, they're that, they probably want something really nice, really substantial, a beautiful leather bound album. Whereas if you're targeting the sort of younger, trendier, they're kind of like the hipster crowd, then they're probably gonna want one of these really cool like couture that are like what's that? They'll want a razor. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like it's it's totally gonna depend on on who your client is and and how you want your brand and your work to be represented in that market and for that client. I think a lot of photographers get into the space where they they look at a, you know I mean and this is a thing you could go look at Bay Photo or you look at Miller's or you look at Fineo, which is the company I get my albums from and there's so many options I don't think you should just go and offer every single option I know we've talked about this in the past when we had Melissa on talking about albums but it's like look at what the offerings are so now you know what the options are and so if I were to spell it out for Mr. Arvels you know there's canvases there's prints there's framed prints there's uh, mounted prints there's uh, like you could get prints done on wood, you could get prints done on, done on metal, you can do albums, you can do smaller books, you can do fine art books, you could do press books. I mean, there's uh, you could start to get like into the ornamental stuff, like jewelry and the handbags and the totes and the things like that. So there's those are all the options. Like that's your sort of pool to pick from. I would say look at that pool and say what makes sense for me, for my business, what do I connect with, what makes sense for my clients, and what would they connect with. Because if you just start offering things because you feel like you should, you're kind of approaching it the wrong way. So I, I would just say to Mr. Arvels, and for anyone listening for that matter, is just to kind of look at it the opposite way. Instead of saying, 
what should I be offering my clients? It's like, well, what, what would my clients want? Like, how would they best enjoy it? And then narrow it down like that. Because if you have too many options, it's going to look like, you know, a Chinese takeout menu and it's going to be too confusing for your clients. And they're never really going to want to pick anything. It's going to be kind of paralysis by analysis. So figure out what makes most sense for you, for your business, for your market, for your clients, and kind of go forward from there. Yeah, that's some great, uh, great advice. Yeah, definitely. Like we, we tend to attract, and it's probably because we're a little bit older ourselves, but we tend to attract a bride and groom that are maybe a little bit later in their lives, like later twenties, you know, early thirties, even getting into the forties. We tend to get some more older couples, and they tend to be a little more established. They're usually in, you know, they've got into a home, so they might be more interested in things like wall art or aluminum, you know, nice aluminum prints. That's something we've been doing the, the last couple of years is really nice high-gloss aluminum prints, whereas younger couples are maybe in their early 20s. They're still maybe living in an apartment. They're not ready to kind of commit to getting wall art and things for their home because they're not in a really in a permanent space yet. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of, like, like you say, that's some good advice, Brian, is like factor in the market that you're selling to and who is your audience and what, what do they want? Because you're right, the sky's the limit. I mean, you can get you can get iPhone cases, you can get calendars, yeah, keychains totally. and coffee mugs. And, yeah. you know, I mean, and some of that stuff is, you know, it sounds kind of cheesy and, and, and hokey stuff. It might work for some for some photographers in their market. That might be a very desirable item. Whereas if you're going after, say, like a higher end client or, you know, a higher end bride, they're not going to want a keychain and a coffee mug with totally you know, world's greatest bride and groom on the yeah. <laughs> on the I've, I've, I've seen some labs offering uh, shower curtains that you can have your images printed on too. <laughs> oh, personally, personally, I've seen, I've seen I find towels. that really creepy personally, but you know, maybe your market will like it. I don't know. <laughs> I've seen towels and blankets, but yeah, shower curtains. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes! Wow. That's funny. But yeah, there, there's so many options out there. Um, you know, going to trade shows like WPPI is obviously a good place to mm-hmm. check out what are what are all the different products that are available, you know, and you get some ideas as to what's out there. Um, you know, I think it, packaging is a big is another kind of overlooked thing as well, is how you package and present your products it becomes part of the product itself. It's not just the actual product, but you know, mm-hmm. what do you if you're delivering, say, USB to them, are you just handing them over a USB or are you actually putting it in a really nice presentation box? Is it kind of the Tiffany's presentation or are you just kind of throwing it in a plastic bag? So what are, you know, if you're going to offer products, also really consider what are you going to present those products in as well and make sure that it properly reflects your, your brand as well. Because if you, you have this beautiful product and then you stick it in a, you know, a Safeway bag or something, it, it doesn't really connect with what your brand is, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure that your packaging also, you know, matches up to what your product that you're offering is for sure. So all good tips, good advice for Mr. Ar- Arvels. And I think he sent me that on, on Instagram, actually. That's why I couldn't find it on Twitter. Ah, that's where it was. Okay, through there. there you go. So you can reach us through Instagram, Twitter. We're everywhere, so <laughs> good stuff. All right. So let's uh, let's move into our main uh, topic this week, and uh, we were kicking around some different ideas for the you know what we wanted to talk about this week, and we decided it would be a good idea. We haven't really gone through how each of us approach a wedding day, what we kind of what's in our bags, uh, and you know how we use the different equipment sort of throughout the day. So this week, what we wanted to do was kind of take you through a bit of a wedding day walkthrough, kind of a typical wedding day for each of us, um, how we approach it, you know, uh, how we approach different aspects of the day, what kind of gear we bring with us, kind of why we bring that gear, um, and just kind of go through the different parts of the, of the wedding day. So you get to kind of ride shotgun along with us on a wedding day in this episode. So who wants to get the discussion going? Maybe, uh, maybe Brian, let's, let's start with you. And, uh, Start kind of take us through what's a typical wedding day look like for for Brian Capricci photography. 
Awesome. So, you know, I was just thinking in hindsight, it'd be really cool if we all just had like Google Glass and we could actually wear that for like a day-long podcast. So we could, we can actually have people join us all on a wedding day and we could wear our Google Glasses for like one of the wedding days. Just but put a GoPro on your head and yeah, yeah. put a suction, suction cup it on there. And <laughs> I don't know if people would want to watch us for 12 hours though. Um, I digress. Um, for me, um, I'm, I'm very in, like, I, I know we've talked a lot about in the past in, in other episodes um, about setting expectations with clients. And so when I'm planning a wedding day out, I'm very intentional in knowing, knowing what I need and what I want in order to get that client what they want me to get for them and being intentional about communicating that properly to them. So when I plan it out, for me, the ideal sort of walkthrough on a day is I like to start off with the bride and the bridesmaids and spend about 15 minutes to 30 minutes with them for the tail end of hair and makeup. So I want to be there to capture, you know, those nerves, the excitement, all those little moments that are happening. Um, because for me, and again, this is where starting with the end in mind comes into play, I always do wedding albums. And so I'm always thinking of how is my coverage going to translate into that wedding album for my client. And so I want that full story from start to finish. So I'll start with hair and makeup. From there, I will transition over to see the guys for about 45 minutes to an hour, um, where I'll spend time with them as they're getting ready, getting the tuxes on, getting the ties done up, the cufflinks. I'll do some detail shots of the rings, um, all those moments that are happening, the, the groom's parents that are there, some group shots, those kinds of things. Um, and then I'll leave them because they're usually heading off to the church a little bit early. And then I'll go back to see the girls wherever they're getting ready. And I'll spend about an hour with the bride and the bridesmaids again as they're getting dressed. All the sort of the dresses are coming on. Everything is starting to take shape. The flowers are usually there so we can do some portraits as well. We'll do some stuff with the family. So we'll kind of spend an hour there with the bride and the bridesmaids. And then we'll usually leave about two minutes before they leave for the ceremony. Now this is assuming they're not doing a first look. If they're doing a first look, then this would all just be pushed back a little bit. Um, so then I follow them to the, or I go just ahead of them to the ceremony. We do the ceremony. I usually like to recommend, and this is again where it comes with setting expectations with your clients. I recommend doing the family portraits immediately following the ceremony. And the reason that I say that is because the family is already all there. Um, the family is going to already want to come and say hi to the bride and groom and congratulate them and do all that. So might as well take advantage of the fact that they're there. We don't have to, you know, transport grandma and grandpa to another location and we can do the family portraits right then and there. So I will actually collect uh, well ahead of time. I have a whole questionnaire that I sent to the bride and groom and I'll collect a list of all those family photos. So my assistant will have that and we'll cross those off as we go through all the family photos right after the ceremony. Okay. Let's let's start um, let's let's actually focus in on the morning and then we'll kind of go into the ceremony part. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask Robert kind of what his approach is to the morning and I want to ask both of you guys kind of what gear do you bring to the morning and is it different from what you use say throughout the rest of the wedding day? So Robert, what's the what's a morning look like for you typically? Do you do you cover a lot of the getting ready? Yes, and uh, similar but yet a little bit different than Brian. Uh, I would say about 95% of my weddings I do a first look and I get them to see each other. And I know he acknowledged that. Um, and I'm at a wedding typically a, a 10 to 11 hours generally. Um, I don't mind spending the extra time. I kind of don't, you know, I, I tell my clients up to 10 hours and I'm not a big stickler on time as long as they give me the time to do what I want. And, and, and like Brian, we've talked about that, a uh, lot of pre-communication. They know what to expect. Um, so when I show up on the wedding day, there's no surprises. Um, so I run on about a roughly a four-hour timeline prior to ceremony, but that first hour is getting ready, so that's sort of what I call my time. And I'll get there about an hour before first look, 
And I always work with the second shooter as well. So generally, I'm the one shooting the girls and my second shooter's shooting the guys. Uh, you know, but I have done both. But I'll spend about an hour with the girls just, again, very candidly in the room, shooting what's going on, emotion, touch-ups, you know, all the detail from rings to shoes to dress. Um, I do that so that I have time to do all that detail stuff and I kind of just have fun with it. And it also allows you time to uh, get to know the girls and, you know, you know, sort of they become familiar with you and have a little fun with them. So, you know, of course, later pictures, you know, they like you. Um, and actually, then, can uh, I just uh, I, jump in for a sec, Robert? Yep. Because um, I think that point that you said right there is actually really important, and a lot of photographers don't realize that um, that time that you spend with both the girls in the morning and the guys, if you do spend it with the, the guys, that kind of like sets the precedent for the rest of the day in terms of what yeah. that relationship will be like. And so I love that you're saying, you know, that morning time is when you're getting the girl, you're getting to know the girls, you're kind of getting, letting them get to know you, kind of setting the stage for what the rest of the day will be like. And if you can create that good relationship in the morning with the family, the, the groomsmen, the bridesmaids, then that'll allow for a much better flow and much better cooperation for the rest yep. of the day. So and I, the mothers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the mothers, yeah. Like I think setting the stage for the relationship in the morning is really, really important. Yeah, and to take that one step further where you really see that as I do a lot of destination. Mm. So when I do destination, generally, there's might be three or four days that I'm shooting. You might get there on a Thursday and shoot welcome dinner and the next day rehearsal and rehearsal dinner. And by the wedding day, to sort of elaborate on that, not only of the bridal party and everyone, but you know a lot of the guests because you've been at yeah. parties with them and they're really comfortable. So come the wedding day, I see such a difference. You know, you know, I wish we could do that every, you know, every weekend, but <laughs> I really see on destination, you know, by the time you get to the wedding day, like you're family with everyone. So it yeah. makes, that makes a huge difference as, as well. Yeah. Um, and a little tip about that, like I don't tend to shoot a lot of uh, rehearsal and rehearsal dinner stuff uh, when I'm local in town sometimes, but definitely always on destination. And one thing that I always do that, you know, I don't charge them for the time or whatever. They usually want the dinner shot, but I always show up to the rehearsal and I'm just sort of a fly on the wall, put my long lens on and I just shoot. Um, and again, it sort of gives the bridal party an introduction to you. They see you, but I'm not interfering with anything. And it's really interesting when I've done that. I've, it, you know, it again makes a difference. But I've really learned a lot just about the ceremony and things that are going to happen in the ceremony, so that actually I'm prepared to capture something that I might not have known about. Right. Yeah, that's um, a good point. That's I was going to say. That's kind of where we start our wedding day is actually at the rehearsal, um, and that's one of the things. That's kind of one of our selling points. Um, that, separates us is that we come to the we show up to the rehearsal now not to photograph it we don't bring our cameras with it with us um to the rehearsal but we're there more to like you say establish a bit of those relationships get to n put names to faces uh one of the things we like to try to do is is memorize everybody's names that are in the that are in the wedding party mm -hmm. as well as the parents so that you know on come the wedding day it's not just hey you or hey bridesmaid you know we know their we know them by name and we find that personal connection it plays a huge role in how comfortable everybody feels with us yeah. so going to the rehearsal again not to not to photograph and it's not a huge time commitment for us it's you know most rehearsals are maybe half hour 45 minutes at tops you know so it's maybe an hour out of our out of our day we can't always make it there are some times when we can't make it depending on the logistics and when it's happening but if we can make it we try to make it um, the other thing that it allows us to do is um, talk to the officiant particularly if it's a church wedding and make sure if they've got any rules, you know, we get, we find out about those, you know, beforehand. And so it's not a shocker on the day of the wedding that all of a sudden, you know, the, the, you know, the church lady isn't going to let us go beyond the back 
pew of you know back row of pews or something like that. Like you get that out of the way, and if if it's an issue, we we can deal with it that evening, right? Rather than having it in the middle of the ceremony or something like that. So then again, we've clarified those expectations, and as long as the bride and groom kind of are. are you know, on board and understand, you know, the, the restrictions that might be placed upon us, and particularly more in a church setting, you know, that again, just it sets the tone before the wedding even starts. Um, so yeah, that rehearsal is a, is, a, is a key thing for us that we like to go to. Nice. So in, in the getting ready situation, Brian, what a kind of equipment are you bringing into that situation? Um, so I'm I'm now so I'm a Fuji photographer and, and so I I use I still do have some like my Nikon equipment and I will use it sometimes but during the prep stuff I'm not using my Nikon. Um, reason being is during the prep stuff like my job I think you know Robert like you said I'm kind of a fly in the wall and I don't want to be drawing attention to myself and so I want to be very um, documentary during those times so I don't want to be like I don't come out with flashes or anything big or any kind of big lenses. I have my Fuji XT1. Uh, with a 56 millimeter lens on it, which is an 85 millimeter equivalent, uh, I've got that in one hand, and then on my hip I have a little uh, spider. Um, it's called a Black Widow, I believe, and it's just like a little holster that goes onto my belt. And I've got my Fuji X100T, which has a 23 millimeter lens, which is a 35 millimeter equivalent, and I have that sitting on my hip. So I've got an 85 millimeter lens and a 35 millimeter lens, and I'll just switch between those two. They're really small cameras. They're really non-intrusive. No flashes. I work natural light, and that's how I shoot the morning stuff. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Bruce? Um, so in the in the morning for the getting ready stuff, I try to go in fairly fairly light. I'm usually carrying two bodies with me. I've got my Canon 1DX is my primary body, and then a 5D Mark III is my is my second body. <clears throat> so I'm not traveling as light <laughs> as I wish I could be. Maybe maybe someday soon. Um, but I'll take that in. And usually I'm I've got a 24 to 70 typically on my 1DX, <clears throat> and then usually on my other body um, I'll have maybe a 35 or I might have an, an 85. I'll have a couple primes with me, depending on kind of what I want to do. Um, and again, I'm just like you guys, kind of that fly on the wall. Um, the only thing I might do in terms of like direction or guidance is just getting them to do something towards say window light or putting them in a better spot. Um, the other thing that I do when I go into a room is I turn off all the crappy, ugly tungsten lights, you know, open up the curtains, make sure we get lots of natural light kind of coming in the room. Um, one thing that I like, and some photographers don't care too much about this, but I really hate it when I walk into like a getting ready room or a house and it looks like a, like a bomb has gone off in the place. It just doesn't look nice in photographs when there's like, you know, you've got sweatpants hanging on the bed and, you know, bras hanging off the, you know, the door or back of the door and these kinds of things. Like there are those that are kind of pure photojournalistic purists that say that's, that's the situation. That's how it was documented. Um, I, I, I'm kind of on the camp where I want to clean a little bit of that up. So I always usually instruct my, my couples, like, you know, pick a room where you're going to get ready that gets lots of natural light. Um, and as best as possible, you know, it doesn't have to be like you're staging the place for, you know, show home sale or something, but, you know, make it tidy somewhat. Like try to put away some of the crap and, you know, tidy up the room a little bit so it doesn't look like a disaster zone when we come in there to photograph. Because, you know, it'll look distracting in the photographs and you want to go back and look at the emotion and the moments and not be like, oh, there's a, you know, pink bra in the middle of the bed mm -hmm. or you know, these kinds of things. So that's about the only direction that we'll, we'll give for the getting ready part. And then again, it's mostly just kind of fly on the wall. Um, I shoot with my wife, so usually my wife will go uh, photograph the guys getting ready, and I'll usually photograph the uh, the girls getting ready. Um, just depends on where they're getting ready. We find here where we live, 
it happens a lot where they're getting ready at, at their you know separate homes or one's getting ready in a hotel and somebody's at a different home so it's very rare that they're getting ready together in this in a very close location so usually we have to drive to separate locations um, if they are in the same place like say the same hotel or something like that then I'll pop back and forth between the two rooms and my wife will as well we'll kind of you know mix it up so they can see our faces and get to know us and build that rapport best as we can but that's usually what I run in there with um, usually don't get into anything with off-camera light or anything like that during the getting ready I find there's usually not a ton of time anyway um, it's usually fairly chaotic and rushed there's always lots of stuff lots of activity going on but it's probably my favorite part of the day because there's you know the emotions are high there's this nervous energy in the air everybody's excited um, you know there's lots of stuff happening um, I like photographing the girls just because there's generally a, a bit more going on I find there's more interesting stuff happening with the girls than more so with the guys. Um, usually the guys, it's like, oh, okay, 15 minutes, we got to leave. Okay, I better have a shower, you know. And then, you know, they get into their, you know, they get into their tux or their suit, and, you know, down a shot and off they go. So it's uh, usually I find the girls a little bit more interesting to to, to capture. Yeah, the, the guys is like we're watching sports and drinking beer. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> as a uh, as a technical note. Um... From a photojournalistic standpoint, the reason just, and I think it sounds like you guys are similar, the reason that I choose to shoot the prep stuff with primes is because I have found that just for me, the way that I shoot, when I shoot with zooms, I tend to be more stationary because I can let the lens do the zooming and the, and you know what I mean, the, all that. Whereas when I shoot with primes, I find that I do the zooming with my feet. And I like being photojournalistic when I move quickly like that. So I'm never really, like when I'm shooting the prep stuff, I don't want to stay in one place for too long because then I kind of feel like those that are in the environment with me feel like I'm kind of like the creeper standing in the corner of the room not moving. And I kind of feel very sniperish when I do it that way. Whereas when I can kind of be a little bit nimble on my feet and kind of move around a little bit more, and I have to because I'm shooting with primes, I find that I can just sort of, I get more variety, I get more diversity, I get better angles, I see things from different perspectives, and I don't feel stale staying in one place for too long. So I feel like my coverage is better because I force myself to move around because I shoot with primes. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, another tip, uh, which I think is kind of obvious, but I mean, to new photographers, maybe not, um, you know, always put your back to the windows or to the, where the light's coming in and shoot with the light coming in the room. That doesn't mean you have you can't shoot any other angles for a split light or any of that, but that's always helpful. You know, you get the best light if you put your back to the window and you're shooting into the room the direction that the light's going. Um, so when I'm shooting getting ready, uh, I generally shoot one body at a time. I, I don't like stuff hanging off my shoulders or my belt. That's just kind of, I've done it both ways. Um, but I have a variety of bodies in my bag. But uh, like I mentioned, I'll maybe shoot the A6000 because it's small. Um, it's easy for me to get around. And I move around a lot too, uh, you know, with shooting candids. But then I'm, you know, when I'm setting up shooting the dress or the rings, you know, if I'm shooting rings or jewelry, I'm always looking for an interesting place in the room to make those shots different because they can be the same thing every weekend. So I'm always challenging myself to get a different shot. But then I'll throw my 100-millimeter uh, macro on there and, and shoot jewelry. Um, you know, I might... I shoot a lot of the 20, 24 to 70 in the rooms because it's just a good lens. Um, but depending on what I want, I'll pull anything out of my bag. Um, sometimes I'll shoot my A7S, um, you know, in the room if, if, if the lighting's uh, bad, you know, if I need more light because it's really great in low light. Um, that's a bit it. I don't know what other tips. The same thing. I just try to be a fly on the wall. Uh, I try to interact with the people, you know, like Brian mentioned, not be a creeper, like be friendly and interact with mm -hmm. people and say hello and introduce yourself and, uh, you know, but also give them their space and, 
you know, let them do their thing and you just try to capture, you know, what happens instead of necessarily creating it. I think if you are overly overbearing in the getting ready room, you know, and setting up this and setting up that, I think that, uh, you know, they sense that and they're like, oh, you know, I think people like to just, you know, it's it's weird that they're all getting ready in a room anyway, especially <laughs> if there's a guy in the room and they're trying to get dressed and, you know, I mean, I have to say I've been more embarrassed in brides' rooms than, than they are sometimes, but, you know, I mean, I've seen girls walk out in front of me completely naked and just, I'm shocked, but it just depends on who you're dealing with, you know, and some of them want you out of the room. And I, I do that too. It's a great thing, you know, ask your bride, you know, especially during getting ready. I said, uh, you know, I asked how comfortable are you? Do you mind me being in the room? Of course, I won't shoot until you're covered up with the dress or, and some will allow you to be there and some will throw you out and invite you back in. Um, but I usually just ask if I'm invited back, in, you know, like just cover up and then let me come back in so that you know, your mom, your girls or whoever helping you, you know, so I can get the buttoning and the, you know, the final so, you know, remember that, you know, I think comfort there that everyone's comfortable is key. And I think that's always important throughout the day, you know, in posing and, and all of it. As long as they're comfortable and they're having a good time, you're going to get good images. Yep, absolutely. Agreed. Okay, so moving on. So that's kind of thing we've kind of tackled the morning part and kind of the getting ready, the prep, the prep stuff. So the, the next part of the day might vary. So, um, Robert, you do, you said a lot of, like, about 95% of your weddings are, will do a first look prior to the ceremony. Right. So maybe take us through that process, and then, Brian, I'm going to come back to you and ask you kind of your thoughts on first looks, mm -hmm. and if you do a lot of them, but I know Robert does quite a few of them. So let's yep. talk about kind of the, the ti wedding timeline where you've got a first look, and what's, for those that are maybe new to wedding photography that aren't as familiar with, with a first look, maybe kind of talk us through kind of the, the premise of the first look and why you like to do them. Sure. Um, again, not counting getting ready, I like to run on about a three-hour timeline prior to ceremony. So that first hour uh, would the only two people I want ready are just the bride and groom. And of course, at the beginning of that hour, the first thing that I'm going to do is first look. And um, I think it's pretty obvious. But what I usually do is I I try to find a location. Um, first of all, privacy is my is my first thought. Um, you know, how pretty the background is and lighting. But I would say if I wanted to rate them in order, I would say privacy, lighting, and location. Um, because if my location isn't that pretty, but my lighting's great and it's private, well, then I might come in a little bit tighter just to kind of hide the background. Uh, of course, we want all three, but I think privacy being the most in that, you know, I usually suggest to my couples, look, this is your moment. I suggest that you do it alone, but if you want mom or your bridesmaids or, you know, whatever to look on, that's your prerogative, but I usually ask and they usually want to do it alone. And if the bridesmaids or someone are there, or I've done it before where they're like in a window and they can watch, which is for a great reaction photo, but if they are in my space where I can see them and hear them, I usually just ask the girls politely. I said, you can watch and I want you to enjoy it, but I, I don't want to hear you because I think what I'm trying to avoid is, you know, five or six girls going, oh, that's so sweet, you know, and it kind of kills their moment in my opinion. Um, so I want them to have that moment and I want it to be special, but again, it's not, it's not my way or the highway. I really pass that by the bride and ask her what her wishes are. Um, so I do first look. Um, I shoot with long lenses, there's usually myself in a second, and there's usually video around, so we all kind of have to coordinate, you know, what's best for everyone. I let them see each other for the first time. I tell them, you know, take five or ten minutes, whatever it is that you want, and then when you're ready, you know, let me know. And then uh, I spend the rest of that hour with my couple. Usually one of the first things I do, the transition right from first look, 
um, is some very formal portraiture, especially if I have a nice background. Um, you know, I do a, you know, very arms around each other, full length, them looking at me, you know, very close up, them looking at each other. You can transition that into, you know, 10 different images if you want, but, you know, them looking at each other, half shot, face each other, arms around each other. Basically, I get some, like, formal type portraiture out of the way so that if I never go back to that, I have it. And, and that stuff you, you have to shoot to make the parents happy. Generally, the parents want to see... Uh, their kids smiling and their faces in close-ups. They don't necessarily love Robert Evans's artistic work all the time. Um, but I do that first so that I know that I have that and I get that done. It doesn't mean that I won't do more of it later. Um, but then I'm sort of free to shoot what I want. And uh, I tell my couples, I shoot 90% of the weddings for myself because at the end of the day, I know if I'm happy and I'm excited about what I shot, then my couples are going to be happy as long as, again, with communication before I've shot what they want. So is the first look something typically that you suggest to them or is it something that they'll come to you and say, yeah, we want to do a first look? It's usually something I have to suggest to them. And I start off by feeling, you know, like, did you guys want to see each other? It's a little more common in today's place, but it also matters where you live. You know, there's some little more traditions uh, in different parts of the world and United States, especially in the South, I think they're a little bit more traditional. Um, and again, if they don't want to see each other, I do my best to try to talk them into that and, and explain to them all the reasons why, and that's a whole nother show. But um, I think if they don't, then, then I'm like, fine. But what I do is I try to let them know the emotions that they will feel by getting the photos and doing most of them afterwards. Um, but I can turn probably 80% of my couples that don't want to see each other just by simply walking them through the day and making sense to them. You can't just look at a bride and go, you have to see each other before that's the only way to do it. Because if she has said in her mind that, you know, the first time she sees her guy was, you know, walking down the aisle, that's a hard thing to change, but I have done it. Um, but you know, you have to sort of, you know, just feel your couples out, but that's generally the nice. So I spend, the rest of that hour, walking around my location, uh, my couple has just seen each other, they're excited, they're happy, nobody else is around. A lot of times I get to work in areas that later might be cocktail hour and there's people there so I don't have that availability after the ceremony or inside a house where there'll be people or caterers or I think it opens up a lot more uh, opportunities for locations and of course privacy and intimacy and just a very relaxing session with my couple for you know a good hour. Awesome. Brian, how about you? Do you do a lot of first looks with your couples? How, what's your thoughts on it? And how do you enforce that? I would say for me that I probably um, 15% of my couples will do it. Um, and I actually don't push it. So I think, and I think this is, this is what's really good is because Robert does things one way and I do things a bit of a different way. And I think that that's, it just yeah, shows no, that there's, there's more than one way to do it, right? It just depends on, on yeah, how absolutely. you want to do it, what your style is like and all that. For me, um, I actually fundamentally believe that the wedding day is not about the photography. And so I like to really um, advocate for that to my clients and that to say, hey, if you had your heart set on doing a first look, great. Let's plan it out. Let's talk about how we can make that happen. But if they don't come to me saying I want to do a first look, I won't even ever bring it up. Because for me, I want to structure the photography around what their wishes and plans are for the day. 
and I don't want necessarily the photography to dictate what those timelines are. So that's just me and how I approach it, and that works for me. But Robert, I can see how you would want to do it that way, right? So it's yeah. like it totally depends on on how you want to structure it. But for me, um, I do structure it very like when I have couples that do want to do first look, I structure it almost the same way that Robert talks about, where it's you know we set them up, they have their moment. I respect their wishes in terms of if they want family there or not, bridesmaids there or not. Um, and then we spend time with the two of them doing portraits, and then I go into the wedding party stuff from there. So when I do it, I structure it the same way as Robert, but I never really advocate for having to do it or or try to push them to do it necessarily. Yeah, awesome. So okay, so that's kind of the first you know schedule. If you have a first look kind of in the day, what about uh, moving on to the ceremony, which is usually the you know typically for most, it's that's kind of the next the next part of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you how do you approach the ceremony? What kind of gear do you bring there? You know, what's your approach on this on the ceremony part of it? Brian, let's start to you first. Yeah, cool. Um, so for me, the first thing that I always do, um, I, I photograph for a lot of like Italian weddings, uh, Polish weddings, like a lot of cultured traditional um, ceremonies. So I do find myself in churches quite often, um, and I'm I'm very very um, obsessive and almost to, to a fault about making sure that I'm completely respectful for the traditions and the ceremony and the rules and the guidelines that um, the place of worship that I'm going into has set out for photography. And so the first thing that I always do is I go to the church. I don't even bring gear in. I will go and find the minister and I will say, do you want to introduce myself? A lot of the times I've worked with them before so they know me. But I just say, let me, like, do you have any specific guidelines? Is there anything that you'd want me to avoid? I will not be coming in with flash just so that you know. I usually like to stay in the back of the church and so I won't be in your way. I won't be, you know, up on the stairs of the altar and those kinds of things. So I really want to get a good relationship with the minister or the pastor or the priest that's there to make sure that I'm on the same page as them and that I want to be on their side with that. So that's the first thing that I do. But outside of that, I bring in, um, that's when I will have my Nikon equipment um, because I need the reliability and the fast and low light autofocus. So I have a Nikon D4S and I always stick on a 70 to 200. Um, For me, I like to be at the front of the aisle um, and I actually like to be on the girl's side and I kneel down at the very front of the aisle. Even when everybody stands, I like to stay kneeling because I don't want to be blocking the bridesmaid's view of the bride walking down the aisle when she comes down the aisle. The reason that I like to be on the bride's side is because when I'm kneeling down at the bride's side during the um, recessional at the beginning, when the bride first comes in, I want to get her first moment of coming in and it's kind of like she sees all of her guests for the first time when the door is open. But then right away, I want to spin around and get the groom's reaction and to see him seeing his bride for the first time. And I can only do that if I'm on the bride's side kneeling down. So I kind of have that low, high angle of you know the groom seeing his, his bride. And then I spin back around to see the bride and then back to see the groom. And then I actually will step back and get the father handing off the bride and kind of doing it that way. And then after that, I'm usually, like, I'm really non-obtrusive during a ceremony. So I'll keep my 70 to 200 on. I'll usually go to the back. Sometimes I'll go up either side to get both of their reactions. And that's pretty much it. I have my assistant up, uh, if there's a balcony or somewhere that they can get up high, I'll have them up high with a bit of a wider lens just to get a couple of really nice, like, documentary wider shots for the album. But other than that, I'm staying really non-obtrusive with a 70 to 200, kind of just being a sniper during that time of the day. Nice. Robert, how about you? What's what's your typical kind of ceremonies? Do you deal with a lot of churches? Or it sounds like you have a lot of uh, ceremonies that are maybe a lot of outdoor ceremonies. What's your yeah, typical? I'm, well, you guys and I have been shooting for 27 years or something like that. So I've done <laughs> You've it. seen it all. <laughs> I've seen it all. Um, 
So I do it a little bit. My so my locations vary, but I've done it all. But um, Brian and I do it a little bit differently. Um, so which is good. Like I think this is great because not like Brian said, not everybody's gonna agree with me or him or you know everybody wants to kind of do it their own way. So everybody gets a good round view. But I never shoot processional. Um, I of course done it in the past, but in my workflow in today's world, my second always shoots processional, um, and I stay in the back of the church um, for uh, well, I stay in the back of the church with the bride and her dad and her bridesmaids as she walks in. But actually, the last I try to uh, put myself with the bride for about the last 20, 30 minutes prior to the ceremony. And I sort of, again, like getting ready, hang out with her and shoot, you know, behind the scenes and leading up to the ceremony. And then again, if you're talking about right before they walk down the aisle, spending it there, you know, back there with her and dad. And, and uh, that's where there's some really, really great emotion. So for, you know, food for thought for some of you photographers that spend time shooting processional, uh, as long as you have a good second shooter, of course, that you can trust, um, you know, switch, try it get back there and hang out with bride and dad and whoever's walking her down the aisle and shoot some of that emotion and let your second shooter uh, shoot the processional. Um, and my attitude with processional, um, especially in today's world, most people aren't putting it in the book. So I don't necessarily, I tell my seconds, don't stress about making sure you get, I want a shot of every single person if you can do it, but we've done those weddings where the bridesmaids come fast and furious. Yeah, they're all stacked up on one on top yeah, of the other. Yeah, it's really, really hard for them to... Um, you know, to get each one of them. So I say, you know, I think the concentrate on the most important things. Uh, I mean, obviously being the bride and whichever parent or parents that are walking her down the aisle. Um, the kids are always, you know, a crowd pleaser. The grandparents, um, the parents, of course. But if your bridesmaids or your couples are sometimes coming fast, you know, do your best, shoot it your best that you can to cover yourself because if the bride ever said anything afterwards, you're like, well, they came right on top of each other. You know, this is what I did. I did my best. But, um, you know, they can't blame me for that. And then during the ceremony, uh, my second and I um, – well, same thing, long lens, low light, uh, depends on the camera that I'm shooting. Uh, I'll shoot my A99s a lot, um, ceremony, so I can use uh, some of my faster lenses. But now, uh, I mentioned the A7S earlier. One thing about the A7S, which is amazing, you can it'll go super high ISO and looks great, but the A7S also has um, a silent shutter on it. And when I say silent shutter, you cannot hear yourself taking a photo. The first time I used it, I actually was wondering if it was working, but it is, so you put it in silent shutter. So the silent shutter on the Sony A7S is amazing for a ceremony situation, especially when you have, you know, you know, priests or church ladies or whoever, you know, don't want to hear you or see you. Um, they'll never know that you're doing it, and then it might allow you to get in that spot that you're not supposed to go. But Yeah, that's um, a great tip because, yeah, nothing worse than it's a nice dead silent church, and then all you can hear is, like, click, click, right. click, click. But I, I, I definitely agree with Brian's point about walk up and introduce yourself you know, to the officiants or the, the, the church people. I had a church lady hug me one time just because I was wearing a suit. <laughs> you know, she's like, oh, my gosh, you're dressed appropriately. I mean, I know that's common sense, everyone, 
but dress like you're going to a wedding. I think that's so, so important. I see so many people in today's world, you know, other photographers and other venues, you know, dressed in jeans or, you know, just video people and not picking on you guys, but I see people dressed inappropriately. Dress like you're going to a wedding. Yes, good Respect point. your craft. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen other, you know, I've seen photographers even giving advice like, you know, beg for, you know, do do it and then beg for forgiveness afterwards. And it's just like, no, that like it sets such a bad precedent, not only for for them, but also for other photographers. So you wonder why they, there are these rules and why there's these, you know, church ladies that won't let you go places. Well, it's because probably yeah. some other idiot yeah. went in and ruined it for the rest of you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we got to be respectful, and again, that's why we like to go to the rehearsal, and we get that stuff out of the way at the rehearsal. So when we show up, you know, at the wedding, they know and us. I, and I, you know, even just the dress, it's, you know, and again, and behaving in a church and all that stuff, it's it's really common sense. Mm -hmm. You know, follow their rules, listen to what they say, but you know, even dressing appropriately, I think, you know, definitely hits right there with our tagline, raising the bar one wedding at a time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. It sets, you know, it sets a good precedent for other photographers too of your you know they, yeah. they learn to trust us more as opposed to lo looking at us and distrusting us when we walk in mm -hmm. you know to the shirt with all, our, well, our, with all of our gear so awesome well I kind of approach it very similar I think to similar to to Brian um, but I like Robert's advice as far as hanging out you know at the back and getting some of that emotion so I, I try to do that and and leave my wife up at the front kind of getting some of the uh, some of the processional coming down but usually we have a system where her focus when once the bride kind of starts her entry her focus is entirely on the groom so she's she's capturing all the groom's reaction and then my focus is entirely on the bride but I do the same as, as Brian I like to sort of kneel down on the bridesmaids side uh, the other reason I like to do it is then I'm out of the way of the groom I'm not obstructing the groom room from seeing his bride if I'm on that side of the aisle um, because if they haven't done a first look that's his first look so I don't want to be you know him going like <laughs> you know having to look around my head to see his bride for the first time so I, that's the other reason why I'm usually on that side as well is just so I'm not blocking the groom um, and then yeah again my focus is always on the bride so I usually have my camera on AI servo and I'm tracking her as she's coming down the aisle and getting those shots and then kind of moving to a position that's going to work so I can get that exchange and the kind of that handoff that happens between, you know, her parents and, and the groom or whoever's kind of walking down the aisle. And then from that point, again, we're more kind of fly on the wall, 70 to 200 and a 24 to 70 and just kind of you know, staying back and not getting in, you know, in the middle of things. Um, now it's different. This is very different though. If you're shooting like an Indian ceremony, like a Hindu ceremony or a Sikh ceremony. Again, you want to be respectful, but I find with those ceremonies, particularly the Hindu ceremonies, you, you kind of have to get in there because it's you, it's a bit of a turf war <laughs> and you have to battle for position and you have to get in there. So, you know, when you're doing cultural type weddings, some of those things change quite a bit, but sort of if we're, if we're talking about kind of a traditional type wedding, um, that's typically how we flow. And then my wife and I just kind of have a bit of a, a nonverbal way of reading each other. So she knows that if I'm kind of up at the front, getting some close shots, she kind of goes to the back and gets some of the wider shots. And then we kind of trade it off. I'll see her move to the front, I'll move to the back. And we just kind of have this natural rhythm that we just sort of follow on a wedding day. But, but as far as the actual bridegroom part of the day, that's always, you know, she's always focused on the groom. I'm always focused on the bride. And we never, you know, we never kind of deviate from that. So, mm -hmm. so that's the ceremony part. Um, how about what typically is the next course for you guys? I know for us, typically we like to do the family photos right after the ceremony. I think Brian mentioned one of the you know one of the reasons is you've got everybody there. 
So yeah. you don't want people taking off and getting lost. But we usually try and do the family photos right after the ceremony, um, usually somewhere either at the ceremony location or nearby because we don't want to waste a lot of time traveling. And inevitably, you know, you, if you plan it far away, some relative doesn't get the directions or they get lost and then you're, you know, you're waiting for them to show up to do the photos. So um, what about you guys? How do you guys approach the family session? And do you bring, is there anything different in terms of gear? I know I use a bit of different gear when I'm doing family photos, but I want to curious what you guys do during the family part of the day. Well, Robert, how about you? I, so going back to my three hour timeline, I generally try to get it all done before. Um, so just to, I'll recap that really quick. So after the bride and groom session, my next hour I would do immediate family and bridal party. And then I split them up and shoot them each with their immediate family, bridal party, you know, um, different combinations there. And then the last hour is set aside for extended family or special friends. Uh, I say special friends because I usually encourage them to invite anybody that may not be in the family, but they want pictures of, i.e. Uh, sorority sisters, godparents, things like that, um, because I want to make sure that um, I get them photographed. I have a nice portrait of that, so I'm not chasing them around the reception later to pick those photos up. Um, and then as far as gear goes, whether I'm doing it before or afterwards, I tend to shoot family with fixed lenses. Um, because I don't want the, you know, I just, I want to zoom, I focus manually. Um, you want to make sure when you're doing large groups um, that, you know, you're at least at 5.6 or F8, especially so that you everybody's in focus front to back. I know that sometimes I see that very common. People don't think about that, but you at least want to make sure your aperture, I mean, do what you're comfortable with, but, you know, I tend to be 5.6, F8 so that everybody's in focus, whether I'm using flash or not. Um, and if I'm in a church doing those pictures, I've done it both ways. I've brought lighting in, I've double lit it, and, and then I've done it where I just shoot on camera flash. Um, so it, it varies, you know, based on how I feel that day. But um, even a lot of times with a little bit of a shutter drag, you know, 30th or 15th of a second, and on-camera flash looks great. Now, again, uh, one way that I do it, and, and I only suggest this, is if you have a very uh, uh, confident second assistant or second photographer. But a lot of times when we do family groups, especially the bigger ones, the extended families, the pictures you might do on the altar after the ceremony with the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, I don't shoot, I direct. So I'm the one that's bringing everybody in and out of the picture, and my second photographer is the one that's actually shooting it. And I find this way that it's a little bit more of a nice flow, um, getting everybody in and out. I'm adjusting them. I'm the one dealing with them. I'm not back behind a camera 15 feet away yelling at them. I'm right up there. I'm helping the grandparents up and down the stairs. I'm, I'm doing all that stuff. Um, so if that works for you, it's a really good way. Um, you know, to do it, and it's nice because it's, you don't rely on one person. You're not just doing it yourself in your second standing around. And while I'm standing around, I have a camera in my hand, and I am looking for candidates and moments in the church or wherever we're doing the portraits um, while we're shooting. So that's yeah. my approach to it. Nice. Brian, how about you? How do you – I know you have to take off here. You've got an appointment you got to get to. Brian's always busy with meetings. He's a busy guy, so he's got to deck up. But I want to get just kind of your, uh, your approach, kind of maybe – Really quickly wrap up because wrap up, you have to get going, kind of how yeah. you handle the family photos and kind of the rest we of it. We could always go part two on this. and We could do part two. Yeah. Because there's there's actually there's a lot more still yeah. to go into. Maybe we should cap it off at family portraits and then, and yeah, then carry it on with that. portraits and wedding stuff or the reception later on. 
Um, for me, a tip that I learned very early on that works really, really well is for the family portraits, bring a tripod and set your camera on the tripod and leave it there. Um, there's a couple of benefits that I have found by doing it that way. Number one, it establishes you as the photographer, and I find that when you have that tripod there, it almost creates this invisible line that all the guests will always stay behind the tripod. So it kind of always reserves your spot because I know that when I don't use a tripod, I'll go up front, I'm arranging the group, and then I'll kind of you know back up, and then all of a sudden there's like people all over me, and I don't really have, I don't have the presence as the photographer. So when you have a tripod, it just kind of creates that boundary, but it also establishes you as the photographer, and so I find that all the family is more likely to look at you because you've got the big tripod. Another reason that I like to do it, and this is more the reason I like to do it, is because I'm always shooting for the album, and when I put a whole bunch of family portraits in an album side by side, if the horizons are different, if the perspective is different, if anything is different from shot to shot to shot, it looks really weird. So I will use a tripod, keep my camera fixed, I won't move it, I won't change my uh, focal length, and that way all the images have the same background, the same perspective, the same lines, the same everything. So when I'm designing it into the wedding album, it looks really nice and consistent. So that would be a really good tip, I think, for photographers to do it that way. And then also, in addition to what I said earlier, is that I actually have a list of those family portraits right then and there. So I'll have my assistant kind of getting those people ready for the next shot. So when I'm, when I'm photographing the one shot, my assistant is saying, okay, next on the list, we have aunt this, uncle this, cousin this, and she has them ready. So as soon as I'm done my shot, they come in with the bride and groom. But I will normally... Um, start with the bride and groom set up. I'll say, okay, you guys are here, and you're not moving for the rest of the portraits. You're staying put, and I'll keep them kind of stationary, and then all the family moves in and around them. Yeah, yeah. we kind of approach it the same. Uh, that's a great tip with the, with the tripod. I know sometimes we'll sometimes we will bring a tripod in and do that. And you're right, I've noticed that too. When you set that tripod up, it kind of creates this like bubble zone. Yeah. But yeah. I know some photographers who are really like dead set against you know other people taking photos during the during the family photos. And you know, I I find it's there's usually not that many. There's usually like three or four at most, like aunts or uncles or somebody like that that wants to, to get a photograph. So what I usually try to do, the approach I usually try to take with them is I try to befriend them and say, look, I, I realize that you want to get a nice photo. Maybe this is the first time the family's been together in you know, a long time. I realize you want to get a photograph. It'll really help me if you could wait until I've finished and I'm going to give you a second to step in here and get a photograph, but I don't want you shooting the same time as me because it makes it more difficult. People don't know where to look, and mm -hmm. you know, it makes it more challenging. So I say, I tell you what, I'm going to give you 30 seconds after I shoot this where mm -hmm. you guys can all step in here and grab a, a frame of this, and then I'll, you know, I'll step aside so you guys can get that shot. And I find that helps kind of mediate that issue yeah. of like the family wanting you know shooting over your shoulder with ipads and then you don't you know got family members that don't know where to look and inevitably you take you know 10 frames and you, you have one yeah you know, that, that everybody's actually looking at the right camera right so i find that i do the exact same thing bruce that's awesome i do i do the exact same yeah. thing yeah and you're better off being their friend than their enemy yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. Another quick point about that too is for the family portraits section, I have found that uh, you need to be the sort of leader of that. Like you need to be energetic, you need to be loud, you need to be able to control the group because otherwise if you're kind of timid and meek and not really controlling that, things can get, like I know again for me if I photograph a lot of Italian weddings, if we've got 30, 40 people there waiting, if I don't say, okay, next we need blah, blah, and I, you know, I, I'm really loud and I'm really 
I'm the leader of that. I find if I don't do that, things can either take so much more time, it becomes super chaotic, and just things don't end up getting done the way you want them to get yeah, done. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. You have to. I think you have to take charge. I've I've heard complaints from brides, and I think we even talked a little bit about that in our in our fifty show episode three, I think, um, oh, where. Yeah. That was one of the things where they right. said the photographer didn't take charge, seemed disorganized, didn't seem to know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. You don't want to come off like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And I have one more tip to add to family portraits, and, and we can cut it. But um, one thing that's really, really helpful with something that I've done for years is I think the biggest mistake photographers make, again, lack of communication and not talking to the bride and groom about, especially when it comes to the extended family and letting them know when they need to be where. Usually what happens is, uh, in most cases, the extended family will say, you know, at the rehearsal dinner, they'll say, oh, Aunt Sally, you know, whatever, you have to be there tomorrow at 5 o'clock for pictures. Well, that's the first time they've ever heard about it. And you have to remember that people are in town, they're, you know, they have kids, they have to get ready. And you sort of threw just a wrench into their day at that point. So what I've done for years is I talk to my brides and I say, you know, especially for your extended family, um, and especially the ones that you know late, but, you know, you can hedge to them on what time they need to be there. That's kind of a no-brainer. But call them, write them, email them about two to three weeks before the wedding and let them know what time the portraits are going to be and where, but on top of that, the most important key is make them feel special. Mm-hmm. You say, Aunt Sally, we really love you. We're so excited to be married. Can't wait to see you at the wedding. We're going to do portraits, whether it's before or afterwards. You give them the time. We really want you guys to be in those portraits because you're like my favorite aunt. You know, So I'm just giving you a heads up that there's going to be portraits. And then you use the rehearsal dinner as a way to remind them. But it's up to you as the photographer to educate your clients on this fact. And if you do this, it'll really, really make a difference in your day. Yep. Good, good tips, good advice. Another tip that I can give, and then we'll kind of cut her, cut her off, is that uh, we usually try, we tell them, like, peel it like an onion. So start, you know, from the outside, do the big group first, and then you can start to peel away some of those people if they're not needed for some of the other shots. And the other thing we encourage people to do is if there's any shots that are going to involve children or small children, get those done, like, right up front because usually their attention span is already stretched thin because if you're doing it after the ceremony, they've already probably been sitting still for half an hour, 45 minutes. They're already probably pretty antsy and ready to go or crabby or hungry or whatever. So we usually say, let's get the kids done first and then you know they can get out of there and then you can you know whittle it down to the to the groups um, or also consider if there's any uh, you know grandparents or anything like that that maybe have mobility issues you want to try and you know make sure you're accommodating that as well in the family photos so again we could probably go on for forever but i say we'll we'll pick this up and we'll do a part 2 or we'll kind of continue the rest of the wedding the wedding day but um, i think there were some good tips and some good um, advice for everybody in there yeah part 2 we'll discuss if you have to do pictures afterwards, you know, maybe more bride and groom pictures afterwards, taking advantage of some pretty light. Let's talk about reception, uh, lighting in the reception, tricks that we use in the reception, cocktail hour tactics, goodbye shots. Yep. Absolutely. That sounds good. Good stuff, guys. All right. Well, we're going to close it off there then. So where can everybody find you guys? Brian, where can we find you? Sproutingphotographer.com is my home base for education for photographers where I write and have another podcast all about the business of photography. So that would be a good place to start. And if you're looking for me on the social networks, I'm always at BCAP photo, B-C-A-P photo. Good stuff. Mr. Evans, where can we find you online? 
Well, the website is robertevans.com. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Robert Evans. At Instagram, I'm at Robert Evans. Uh, Google Plus, Robert Evans 101. And uh, Facebook is Robert Evans Studios. As well as, again, for my Sony fans, I have a new Instagram account that's Sony Selfie, so at Sony Selfie, where you take pictures with your favorite Sony camera and tell us why you love them, and we'll put them on there. All right, good stuff. And if you're looking for me, you'll find us over at our website, momentsindigital.com, or on all the social networks, at Bruce Clark with an E. And if you're looking for the show, again, you can go over to thisweekinphoto.com, look for the TWIP Weddings section. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, so every time a new episode comes out, you'll have it in your iTunes list. Um, you can also send questions to the show at twipwed at thisweekinphoto.com or just put out a tweet uh, or you know any kind of social message, Instagram, use the hashtag twipwed. We'll keep our eyes out for that. And so with that, that brings us to another end of another great episode of TWIP Weddings. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll tune in next time to TWIP Weddings, raising the bar one wedding at a time. Mm -hmm.